Um, As we continue in our series in the Gospel of John, we'll be finishing up chapter 8. The conversation that Jesus has been having with the Jews and Pharisees that started in verse 31 will also be coming to a close. Um, There are a few themes that have marked this conversation that are helpful for our context as we come to today's text. Um, First, Jesus pointing out the nature of true belief. Verse 30 said that many believed in him. And so verse 31 starts with Jesus speaking to those who believed him, saying, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And verse 32 goes on, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The second theme we see is the Jews' reaction and rejection of Jesus' words revealed his hearers' true spiritual heritage. It revealed that you can have a faith, but not a true faith. You can believe, but not truly believe. Verse 33 says, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. It's just like the song, uh, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned. I've got a friend in Jesus. It's the same argument the Jews are making in this text. We're the children of, of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. But it actually pointed out the, that very point that they were still enslaved and their father was the devil. Third, the assault on Jesus' character by those who did not possess a true abiding faith. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And then the fourth point, Jesus continued defense of his authority and unity with the Father and his purpose in verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. So as we continue in today's passage, in our expositional outline, we'll see that we believe Jesus and keep his word, giving him honor as the Father glorifies the Son, who is I am. If you've got your notes with you, that's the expositional outline. And before we read the text, let's pray. Father, we come before you today humbly in recognition that your word contains life, that your, your word reveals your son who is truly God and truly man who came into his own creation to save sinners like us. Father, we recognize that we need your power. We need your, we need your sight to see your word and truly believe. So we come to you today asking that you would open our hearts and our eyes to your truth, that we would not only hear and understand, but that we would obey, that we would believe with a belief that abides with a belief that keeps, with a belief that honors Jesus, who is the I am. So we ask and praise you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 
Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 8, starting in verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our, Ab- our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So as we go to verse 48, we see the Jews reacting in hostility to Jesus. Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? This was an answer to what Jesus had said earlier in verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you, speaking about the Jews, do not hear them is that you are not of God. The the reason the Jews calling Jesus a a Samaritan is unclear. We know it wasn't a compliment. We knew the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. But what is more revealing uh, to their intent is in the words, and you have a demon. The Jews were assuming that Jesus was speaking evil as Jesus exposed their hearts to them. The fact that the Jews continued in their rejection of Jesus only made Jesus point more and more that they wouldn't accept who he was and what he revealed about them because they weren't of God. This text thrusts upon us over and over again the doctrine of fallen man's depravity and rejection of God. Just as 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We in the Jew, or, and in the Jews' continued, continued rejection, the sad truth of, human, of the human condition is revealed. I think there's a very powerful lesson and warning for us as we look at the Jews' reaction to the truth of Jesus. When our, sinfulness and painful ex- when our sinfulness is painfully exposed by God's righteousness, his righteous standard, how do we respond to God? Do we call Jesus demon-possessed, like the Jews? Or in other words, do we call God evil? It's easy to downplay our own sinfulness, yet in so, in so doing, we call God a liar. 
but we should see God's care for us in showing us what dishonors him. And knowing it will quickly lead to destruction, we should quickly repent and see Christ. We read in verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So does Jesus reply to their offensive accusation with unguided emotion? No. Jesus replies with simple truth. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. He simply denies having a demon and points to two realities. One, that he honors the Father, and second, that they dishonor him. Verse 50 goes on, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Now what Jesus is saying about the nature of how the Father and the Son relate and honor and glorify each other is profound. And we'll look at that in just a bit, but let's look at how Jesus dealt with their false accusations. We notice he doesn't use any more force than is necessary in defending his witness and authority. If there's a false accusation made against me, I struggle with blurring the lines between righteous anger when someone twists the truth and my own insecurities and pride being hurt. But look at how Jesus responds. Not with blind emotion, not with a wounded ego, but with truth. And how does Jesus resolve his defense? By pointing to the Father who glorifies him and is the judge. He ends verse 50 with these words, and he is the judge. It's a recognition of whose opinion truly matters. If I have been slandered and lied about, I learned from Jesus in this text to simply respond with truth and rest my case with God, who is the judge, who sees all and knows all and works all things according to the counsel of his own will. After Jesus rests his case upon the judge, he quickly goes on to say in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. It speaks to the purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry, that he so quickly moves on from defending horrible accusations to saying, listen to what I have to say. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus came to save sinners. His words are in keeping with what he said earlier in the conversation in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Both statements are talking about perseverance. If you abide in, if you keep, those who stay are truly his. Now some will read into this text that it's our abiding and keeping his word that creates the reality of us being a true disciple. It's what makes us a true disciple. No, abiding and keeping doesn't create, but reveals the reality of a true disciple of Jesus. Our keeping to Jesus is a result of him keeping us. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So we learn we must keep Christ's words. When doubts, fears, trials, and temptations attack you, cling to the word of Christ. Because as we cling to his word, we find comfort and strength and joy, knowing that we keep Christ's words only because it's him who's keeping us.
As Jesus extended hope to anyone who would keep his word, the Jews continue to see Jesus as nothing more than an evil demon-possessed man. Verse 52 through 53 says, The Jews said to him, We know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? So apparently the Jews pretty much ignored and missed every major point Jesus had just made. He spoke about spiritual death. They spoke about physical death. Jesus spoke about seeking and only seeking the Father's honor. The Jews accused him in their question of seeking his own. Who do you make yourself out to be? In our own words, saying he was just trying to make a name for himself. Continuing to enforce what Jesus had said back in verse 43, that they could not bear to hear his word, how did Jesus answer? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. Jesus had already said in verse 49 that he sought to honor his Father. So Jesus made an even stronger statement. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. What was Jesus referring to? He was rejecting their insinuation that he was just a self-serving, selfish man. He isn't seeking approval of man, but promoting the honor of God. And as we live our lives, whose honor are we promoting? And who are we seeking to please? Is it fallen man or the almighty God? Whose approval matters? Jesus was seeking the honor, seeking to honor the Father and receive glory from the Father. The unity in the purpose of God as Trinity is one of the strongest strands that runs through the Gospel of John. We see in John chapter 5 verse 23 that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Then in one of the most beautiful sections in God's word in chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We see from this that we can't honor the Father if we don't honor the Son. And if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. And as the Jews had so arrogantly assumed the Father being on their side, Jesus made it clear that their assumption was wrong. We see in verse 55, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. As Jesus continued in verse 56 through 57, we see, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, are you, not, you are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? 
In Jesus' words, we see here one of the most clear examples in Scripture that true believers of both the Old and New Testament were saved through faith in Jesus. Of the Old Testament, in the promises of God. Genesis 15, verse 6. And he, speaking about Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed in the promises of God, that he would send a seed who would bless the nations. He believed God, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And in the New Testament, in the fulfillment of that expectation in Jesus Christ, Abraham hoped in the promises of God's blessing him. As John Calvin commented on this verse, paraphrasing what Jesus was saying about Abraham, he longed for me when I was absent. You despise me when I am present. What Christ here asserts concerning Abraham alone applies to all the saints. But this doctrine has greater weight in the person of Abraham because he is the father of the whole church. Whoever then desires to be reckoned in the number, number of the godly, let him rejoice as he ought to do in the presence of Christ, for which Abraham ardently longed. Exult to see my day. The word exult expresses the vehement zeal and ardent affection. We must now supply the contrast. Though the knowledge of Christ was still obscure, Abraham was inflamed by so strong a desire that he preferred the enjoyment of it to everything that was reckoned desirable. How base then it is, the ingratitude of those who despise and reject him when he is so plainly offered to them. But that's exactly what we see the Jews doing, pointing out his physical age instead of hearing what Jesus is really saying. And Jesus answered them with one of the most dramatically clear statements of his deity in the New Testament. We see in verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus' Jewish hearers knew now exactly what Jesus was claiming of himself. He didn't just say, I came before Abraham, who lived thousands of years earlier. No, he said before Abraham was, I am. That's present tense. He's not just saying, my start date is earlier than Abraham's. He's saying, I have no start date. I just am. He's not just saying my start date, or he isn't just saying I'm an older product of creation than Abraham. He's saying, I'm not a product of creation. He's saying, I transcend creation. The Jews would absolutely recognize where that type of language is used in Scripture. As we go to Exodus 3.14, we read, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And in Isaiah 41, verse 4, who has performed, the, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, The first and with the last, I am he. He is saying plainly, I am transcendent. Transcendence is the attribute of God that refers to being holy and distinctly separate from creation. A declaration that God is transcendent means that God is above and beyond creation. The transcendence is an attribute that only God can have because only 
because there can only be one being that is beyond creation. One who is transcendent is what everything else is dependent on to have its being. Jesus is saying, I am God. Fellow Christian, our faith does not rest on the words of a good man, but on the words of God, who is both truly man and truly God. Just as John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me ask you, do you see the glory of Christ? Are you seeking to continually see more of the glory of Christ? Because as his children, as the father's children adopted through faith in Jesus, Jesus is the most glorious revelation of God we will ever know. He has revealed the father. He has revealed salvation. He has revealed our hope. We look to a savior who both understands our struggles yet transcends our struggles, infinitely transcends our weakness, not only gives us wisdom, but transcends our wisdom, not only gives, not only is the object of beauty in our lives, but transcends what we know is beautiful. Jesus is the almighty, infinite God, the only Son from the Father, in whom we rest and look to with joy. What is it, what is the Jews' reaction to Jesus' words? What is the Jews' reaction to the most beautiful the most beautiful object we will ever know? The very God of the Old Testament in whom they say they have placed their hope for thousands of years as he stands before them and offers them eternal life. Verse 59 says, So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus revealed the heart of Abraham and all who truly believe to be those who rejoice as they look to Jesus with gladness. But we see that the natural man rejects God. How often have you tried to have conversations with those who don't believe? where there's there's nothing to not be had in Christ. There's only hope. There's only joy. There's only future. But people love their sin rather than come to the Savior. We recognize in this that when we reach out to others, when we proclaim the gospel, we are not resting in our own argument, but we're resting upon the power of the Spirit who alone has power to transform and change lives. God in flesh stood among his own people who he had cared for from the time of Abraham until this moment, extending the saving truth about himself in the very temple that represents his presence in their midst and was received with hatred and rocks to be stoned as a blasphemer. The Jews picked picked up rocks to stone him with. Stoning 
what is the sentence given to those who after who went after other gods was only to be carried out after the truth of the matter had been diligently sought out on the basis of two or three witnesses within a judicial system. We find in places like Deuteronomy 17. But the Jews respond in hatred and anger without bringing a a proper court system to bear. We see that even from the Jews' point of view, they were carrying out justice unjustly. Why would the God of the universe put up with this unjust treatment? We find a hint in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1 through 12. And again, Isaiah was written thousands of years before Christ. Or hundreds of years before Christ, I'm sorry. But speaking about the the suffering servant who had come. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up up before him like a young plant, like a, a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Brothers, sisters, when we read of the Jews and their hatred toward Jesus, we can't go to that text and see them with arrogance, saying, if I was in their place, I would have been different. As we've seen from the text, the only reason we love God today is because he changed our hearts. We have to see ourselves, not as Jesus standing for truth, but as the Jews who violently reject truth and would throw rocks in hatred at the one true God. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What he did, he did willingly. He did purposely. He suffered by the hands of unjust men for our salvation. When he was pressed, he would only speak the truth more and more. He would only continue to extend Freedom in his name. He would only extend eternal life. But his rejection, but he was rejected. He bore our iniquities. He bore our iniquities by the hands that he was bearing them for. Do you see that? Jesus wasn't wasn't nailed to a cross by men out there, though that are nothing like us. He was nailed to the cross by men and women like you and me. As we progress through the gospel of John, 
We see the hatred and animosity towards Jesus only grows more and more. And the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world, as we see that truth, we recognize that he didn't just put up with the hatred, but it was the triune God of the universe's plan all along that he would be despised and rejected. Ultimately, that Jesus would give his life to pay the penalty for sinners like you and me. That he would accomplish redemption for us. Jesus escaped from the temple because the time had not yet come. Jesus was still in control, but as we see hatred towards him growing, we see the shadow of the cross coming closer and closer as he marches towards the hill where he would pay the penalty for sinners like us. So as we come to a close, we realize the true children of Abraham by faith keep Christ's word and abide in him and honor and glorify him, hoping in him, which leads to joy and gladness. As we come to a close, I want to close with this question. Are you abiding in Jesus' word? Let's pray.